You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We got a fun episode for you guys today. You might think, a spring preview, Keely. It's too early for that. No friend it's not too early no friend <laughs> we're three weeks away from spring camp which is pretty crazy given just i feel like this is a long off season with all the drama shotgun but we're three weeks away from spring so we're gonna start today with a, a offensive podcast preview yeah the crazy thing about this off season is that it, it there never was an off part yeah, of it that's I a mean, great point uh it just seemed like every two or three or four days there was some some new rumor coming out about the offense coordinator or whatever it may be talk with uh one of the players at, at the the opening regional, one of the USC players, and they said the same thing. Said, "Yeah, it just seemed like it never ended. You know, there was always something. You know, you're hearing hearing about a rumor here or a rumor there." He said, you know, "Obviously, the players are pretty insulated. They keep to themselves. You know, they know they can't change too much. But uh, you know, so it, it was interesting for them, kind of watching as well to see what exactly would play out. And uh, now we'll see. The USC goes into the spring with a new offense. You know, the air raid ish." offense you know clay helton would not fully commit that it was an air raid uh but graham harrell takes over former texas tech quarterback uh, under mike leach you know a guy that has been at north texas and put up some really good numbers with that you know with that offense you know with some lesser players now he gets an opportunity with some quality athletes you know guys it's going to be a little bit quicker a little bit faster a little bit taller a little bit can jump just a little bit more we'll see how that plays out with this offense with usc i expect the offense to kind of take off should score some more points and that should put usc in much better positions in some of those games where you know you're not up on cal and then suddenly you're like why, why can't they score at all i mean cal's defense is good but it's not great you know you didn't expect them to not be able to score at all in that game uh, I think this year you'll see them, even when they're struggling, they'll still be put be able to put a little bit of points on the board. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that further along in this podcast. But these next three weeks are kind of, in theory, the lull before uh, the spring camp storm. So because of that lull, we're going to preview uh, what's to come, what storylines we're going to be looking for, um, and, and kind of giving a refresher of like, okay, who left? Who's still around? Who's coming in as an early enrollee? What does the depth chart kind of look like? What are you supposed to look for? Uh, what are the, th- the important themes or storylines in spring uh, that you can watch out for? But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Hit us up. Shoot us some questions. Us Even up. if it's the off season, I know you guys got questions, so send us those. And anybody that thinks it's too early for spring practice, just realize that Arizona State is going to be done with their spring practice before USC starts. Which is just crazy. They're in the middle of theirs right now. So, you know, that that's kind of crazy. Uh, it's going to get much warmer in in uh, April and May than it is in February. So that's probably has something to do with it in Arizona. So, uh, But they're getting all their stuff taken care of in one month. They're knocking it out pretty quickly. And, and Herm Edwards is going to hit the recruiting trail, I guess. Do you think that sticks, whatever whatever they do in, in February? I mean, you, you never really stop. As a college athlete, you know, you pretty much, your process continues throughout the entire year. You're a 24-7. You know, it, it's not like there's a true off-season. You might get a couple weeks where they say, hey, go light on your body go on a vacation or whatever it may be. 
but usually you're you're still working out three times a week or four times a week, depending on you know the the system and maybe more than that if you're a guy like Port Augustine or or whatnot. Uh, but you're still running routes if you're a receiver. You're still throwing as a quarterback. Those things never really stop. You know, you, you continue to do that even if they're not you know, necessarily organized by the coaching staff themselves. You know, as a you know as a collegiate athlete myself, you you still were working out and still progressing towards that next year. I was a pitcher, so there was still a throwing program that I was going through the entire off season and stuff. As far as install though, does that does that stick, or is that by the time you get into fall camp around August, are you like, oh right, February, we did that? You know, it, it, it kind of depends on what how much you're installing, how much is just you know going over things again versus if you're implementing a whole new system. I think that can be you know that's when you want to have as little time off as possible because you want that stuff to stick. You don't want to come back and have to teach stuff again. So ideally what you teach sticks. So you don't have to, you know, you don't want that second time around. You don't want that first week of fall camp, even though you're, you know, you're in shells most of the time, you know, you're in helmets only. You don't want to have to be reteaching everything. You want to be able to jump right in and start implementing new things rather than, oh, well, we got to go back and we got to relearn the basics, got to redo the fundamentals. Uh, you got to do those things, which is what USC, it, it sounds like they're going to be focusing on this spring is focus on the fundamentals, relearn all the stuff, reteach some techniques, do all those things. So hopefully USC is able to jump from there to the fall and not have to worry about the, the fundamentals and stuff, be able to go from there you know, and not have a million penalties uh, this season and stuff like that. That's part of the reason why they're focusing on the fundamentals, the techniques. So to cut down the turnovers, cut down the penalties, be able to compete at a higher level. Makes sense. Uh, so the plan for our podcast going forward the next three weeks, offense for this episode. Next episode is going to be defense. The third episode in this trilogy, if you will, will be special teams slash coaches. There's some no, new coaches on the staff, mm-hmm. so we're going to take a look at them. And then probably there's going to be some storylines emerging before camp. We'll take a deeper dive into those. Um, so that's the plan for the next three weeks. I'm excited. It's something new. And at the end of the, end of the three weeks, you guys can tell us this is the best trilogy since blank. You know, probably Star Wars. I'm guessing that's what it'll be. It's a high bar for a shotgun. I would, I would <laughs> I'm not, I have faith in us. I, I don't. Wow. No, I, I see. do. I, I do. I'm excited. Um, so before best, best since what then? You know, uh, Twilight or Hunger Games? What's, what's, what are your Ooh, kids your age that's watch? A, that's a very low bar, so I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so for the casual fan listening, shotgun, before we get into it, what is the air raid offense? So what are what is the the tenets of uh, that you would find in an air raid offense? So the air raid is another form of a spread offense. So USC kind of moved towards a spread offense. It wasn't a true pro style offense where you had a fullback and things. It was more of a spread out. However, the air raid is spread out your offensive line in particular. That's one of the big things. Mike Leach's offense, you're going to get lineman splits that are much wider to try to force those defensive ends to you know to take a longer time to get to the quarterback. A lot of short passes, you're going to work the ball down the field. You're not going to take those big shots all the time like you saw USC last year doing more of. And, the, and because of that, if you watch, if you look at the the linemen that have been successful in Mike Leach's pro uh, in his programs, they're tall, heavy offensive linemen. You know, you might get guys that are six seven and three hundred thirty pounds because basically wanting to be a big roadblock. They might, you know, a defensive end might beat them because they're not as technique savvy. They're not as you know skilled as some of the other offensive linemen that you may see, like a guy like Chuma Doka. It wouldn't necessarily. He's not the ideal guy for a, an air raid offense because he's shorter. Uh, he does have long arms, but he's shorter. And he's not as big. Whereas some of these other guys are big, bulky guys because they want you to take a long time to get around them. Um, and, and that's kind of the ideal there because you want to throw a lot of those short passes. You want to spread the defense out. You know, it, it's creating a lot of one-on-one opportunities potentially on the outsides. 
you, know, you don't have the tight end a lot of times. The tight end, if you do have one, a lot of times will split out. It's a lot more four wide receiver sets. Sometimes it'll be two on one side, two on the other, you know, balance, or maybe a lot of three trips. wide receiver sets, and, you know, trips on one side because you want to create mismatches. You want to create one-on-one opportunities, and then you're going to have guys run their routes and try to beat a guy. Now, if you're facing zone coverage, USC played a lot of zone coverage against Washington State last year, and that's part of the reason why Gardner Minshew's you know, accuracy numbers were really good. He took the short passes, and if you have a patient quarterback, they can work their way down the field. Uh, but you're gonna you're gonna just fit in the zones. You're gonna you're gonna run option routes that will basically you know allow the receivers to take off, and then once they see a little bit of grass, just settle down in that area, see if the quarterback can find them. So a little bit different there, but a ton of passes. So you're not gonna run as much. But as Mike Leach said, I think it was this past year, he said he's trying to evenly distribute the ball to his five offensive skill players. He doesn't need his running back to run the ball 20 times, but if he throws it 10 times, and ca- I mean, if he catches it 10 times and he runs it 10 times, hey, he's still got his 20 touches there, and that, that's what they want. You know, with four receivers and one running back, he wants to evenly distribute them. So I brought up Mike Leach several times in this because he's obviously the guy out here on the West Coast that's most known for it right now with, the Was- with Washington State. Um, the big influencers in the air raid offense. Lavelle Edwards from BYU is one of the first guys to kind of spread everything out. But then Hal Mummy with Mike Leach. So Mike Leach was actually his offense coordinator, I believe, throughout the entirety of this little stretch. They started Iowa Wesleyan, went to Valdosta State, which is was D1AA at the time, and then moved to Kentucky, which is where Mike Leach kind of departed. Hal Mummy was really good. I mean, they made Tim Couch a number one overall pick, which tells you something, because uh, Tim Couch went to the NFL and was – awful um so you know kentucky suddenly out of nowhere i was like wow kentucky can score points kentucky had been basically you know the the bottom feeder of the sec east for a long time and they basically bounced right back to that they were competitive for a while with how mummy and they bounced back to being the bottom feeder now mark stoops has done a really good job of getting that program competitive again but leach left for oklahoma you know, he was their offense coordinator there before taking over at Texas Tech. And obviously that's where it's been most prolific is because he had so much success at Texas Tech, making Texas Tech another bottom feeder program, turned them into a competitor in the Big 12. And similarly, at the same time, you saw that Texas high school football, which feeds almost all of the Big 12 programs, you know, probably 80, 75 to 80 percent of the players come from uh, Texas football in the Big 12. They start a lot of the offenses there started going to a spread more of an air raid system. So then when they you know you get Art Bryles who takes a step from Texas High School to Baylor, you, you get guys start stepping up. Lincoln Riley you know went through the similar progression as there, and and you've seen the air raid really became known with the Big Twelve, and now it's kind of spread more and more from the Big Twelve to now with with uh, Mike Leach at Washington State, some of the other guys that you've seen use it uh, from from Western Virginia before you know with Dana Holgerson moving there, and then they moved to the Big Twelve and. You know, some other systems have used it. And a lot of lot of teams use some of the tenets from it. You'll see Oklahoma, you'll see Clemson, you'll see Alabama. A lot of them use tenets. Not everyone is is consistent in it using it all the time, which is what makes kind of the air raid different than maybe one of those offenses I just mentioned, is because Mike Leach is going to be in no huddle almost all the time. Uh, he's going to spread everybody out. He's going to have those really wide splits with the linemen, and then they're going to go from there. They're basically going to try to dink and dunk you down the field if they if they can. Uh, if the big play's there, they'll take it, obviously. Uh, but but they're willing to you know move the ball through the air rather than running the ball as much. So you see more 70-30, 80-20% 
pass to run. But again, your running backs are really important in catching the ball out of the field. I mean, out of the backfield. You've seen a guy like uh, some of the Washington State running backs. I'm blanking on their names right now, but you've seen them. You know, have 10, 12 catches, similar to the way that the New England Patriots faced the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship. And I think it was James White had. I think 10 or 12 catches and led the, the team in receiving that game because the defense backed up. They just continued to pop it down to the, the running back, and he was able to pick up yards. They're going to throw it to guys short and allow them to go make plays more often than just trying to throw up the big, you know, the deep balls in the one-on-one uh, matchups that, that way. So it's a little bit different philosophy of try to throw it short and let your guys run rather than throw it deep and let your guys try to make a play. So in that sense, what are the advantages and disadvantages to having a uh, air raid offense? It seems like you mentioned one-on-one matchups a lot. That's something where USC's talent can prevail. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's what you want to do with this this offense. You're trying to set up those mismatches where you get your, you know, you get a Christian McCaffrey on a linebacker type of thing. You want that type of matchup. And if you can spread the field out so much where your DBs are all, you know, wide to the field and suddenly in the middle of the field you have a guy like Christian McCaffrey or Stephen Carr on a linebacker one-on-one, you would love that matchup. That's one you definitely want to take advantage of. But other times you're going to run trips to one side. It's almost like the old-school varsity blues, the oop-de-oop offense. We're going to overload on the left. We're going to throw it to Twitter on the right. We're going to have one-on-one coverage, and we're going to go for it. You know that you know you get James Vanderbeek out there throwing, you know, moving him down the field to there goes my hero. Uh, so. That's, that's kind of how the offense is set up. You want to create as many mismatches as possible, especially on the outsides, and then let playmakers go make plays. And disadvantages? Disadvantages is that if your offensive line does not block because you have those wide splits, blitzes can get through there at times. You can have, uh, you can have opportunities you know, just be thwarted by uh, defenses pressing uh, press coverage. Can you really throw off a... a uh, a no huddle offense like that, and if you can't get in sync, then you know sometimes you know the offense just never gets traction, and it feels like your defense is on the field all the time. So when you're running a no huddle, and we'll see at what tempo Graham Harrell wants to run at. That'll be kind of one of the questions I'm looking at in spring is what tempo we're we looking at because the quicker you run it, the less time you give your defense to rest. And especially if you're struggling to get things going, if you can't put a couple of first downs in a row, that defense gets no rest on the sideline. And with a defense like USC, where they don't rotate a ton of players, you can wear out your defense really quickly if you're not being successful on the offensive side. And also, if you're being really successful on the offensive side, you get some of those Baylor offenses or you know uh, Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy. They've had opportunities where they're doing so well on offense and scoring so quickly that their defense gets no rest and they're giving up as just as many points as they're scoring at the same time. So, I mean, someone, if they're snarky, could look to last season and say, well, anyway, USC didn't give their defense that much of a chance. So does it matter in that sense if you're, if you're willing to take that, concede that point in order to get more points? No, I, I, think, that, I think that it's not always going to be that way, especially because the air raid wants to dink and dunk uh, you know, at times. Uh, that it's going to take a little bit more clock off the, off the, you know, the time of possession and everything and your defense will get rest, especially if you're getting first downs. Now, the USC offense last year, that was the issue, is that they were not getting any first downs. I think this offense gives them better opportunities to do that. And we'll talk about the quarterbacks in a minute, but I think the quarterbacks you know, the quarterbacks that are on the roster can thrive in this offense too. So, yes, before we get into position by position, and spoiler alert, quarterbacks are actually at the end to keep the listeners listening, uh, the last thing before the air raid offense about the off- air raid offense, what do you say to the diehard USC fans who've been watching since forever, who are like, 
USC is tailback you. Like we don't have an air raid offense. Maybe I don't want to be offensive to the old old timers. But what do you say to the people who are are not agreeing with air raid at USC? Well, do you want to lose again? Because <laughs> they've tried to be more like Stanford. That was the the philosophy that Clay Helton said. They have not been able to implement that. So if that's not working, do you make a change? Do you keep trying to do the same thing over and, and not have success? I think it's best for them. I think with their athletes, this really can work well for them. Um, you know, USC has always been good on the offensive line. That's why they could be tailback you. They haven't been good on the offensive line in the last five years, basically. So I think this gives their offensive line a better opportunity to, you know, the, the offensive line they currently have has a better off opportunity to succeed because they're not going to be asked to block as much uh, in you know in the run blocking and getting out on the second level and doing things that they just did not succeed with the last couple of years. But this will give them an opportunity to, to make quick blocks and then go on and you know possibly get down the field to try to block after the the catch for some guys. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Alrighty, so speaking of offensive line, let's get into positions. Offensive line, we're going to look at departures: Chumadoga, Chris Brown, Tolobandon, and Jordan Austin. And then the additions coming in the spring, a.k.a. early enrollees, Gino Quinones. He's a three-star prospect out of Hawaii. He actually was a defensive lineman, but USC is going to switch him over to offensive line. How do you feel about that switch, Shotgun? You know, he played offensive line as well. You know, I think he likes playing defensive line more from the way, talking to him and stuff. I think he realized his future may be on the offensive line. He's going to have to bulk up. He's not a guy that's going to contribute this year. So he's a guy that's going to redshirt, and redshirt year is going to do do well for him. Um, I don't know how – I haven't seen much tape of him playing offensive line. I, you know, He was at the Polynesian Bowl. He came back. He had already enrolled at classes at USC, went to classes for a, for a week, and then decided to come back to the Polynesian Bowl, came back to Hawaii, um, and participated in that as a defensive lineman. And he kind of talked about, oh, this is going to be my last chance probably to play defensive line. But he also is still getting the defensive playbook as well. So you know, there's a possibility he could be a guy that flips back to the defensive line at some point if need be. So as far as tackles go that USC has left on the depth chart, you have Austin Jackson, Clayton Bradley, Liam Douglas, Jalen McKenzie, and Bernard Shermer. What stands out to you about that group? Well, the question with me is, where does Clayton Bradley fit in? Yeah. Uh, you know, he basically he got injured in the middle of the season. He kind of got passed over. He did not, you know, did not rate well under pro football focus. You know, he struggled in that uh, in the Texas game in particular. He came in late in that game and kind of got blown by a couple times. Does the does the coaching staff see him as a viable option, or have they moved on from him basically? And is is Jalen McKenzie now the number two guy? The, that becomes a question because. You've got that opening at right tackle now. Jalen McKenzie filled in for Chuma Doga. Obviously, you know Chuma Doga is a guy that's going to go in the NFL draft. I think he showed himself in the in the Senior Bowl. I know a lot of people were negative on him. At US, you know USC fans were, but he still kept producing time and time again. And I, I think that Jalen McKenzie isn't going to fit in. You know, going to come in and immediately be able to do the same thing. But then also the question is, how much changes with the new offense? How much are you focused on the tackles being those big obstacles like I talked about, those big guys that can just get in the way because a guy like Clayton Bradley might fit better in that than Jalen McKenzie is? Or does is Bernard Shermer ready to, you know, uh, is ready, is he ready to jump in and you know, contribute now? You know, a lot of people thought when he came in last year, like, oh, he might be able to jump in this mix, especially with the left tackle spot being open previously. Uh, but you know that never happened. He played a little bit in a couple games, and then just kind of disappeared. He had an injury too, I think, uh, because it seemed like everyone on the roster had an injury at some point or another. Uh, but I'm curious to see Austin Jackson going to lock down left tackle. You know, I think that's going to be, you know, that's pretty much a given. 
he is an NFL draft pick waiting to happen. You know, as long as he continues to take steps you know, forward in this uh, in this offense, continues to better himself. You know, he was he struggled a little bit early. I think he got better as the season progressed. I think he's a guy that is going to take more of a leadership role this year. I think he's the guy that will anchor that left side. Now the question is, who do you put beside him, and who do you put on the other side away from him? You know, I I just don't know what they're going to do. I think it's going to be one of the bigger battles of the of the the spring is going to see who's at that right tackle spot, who's getting rotations there because we've said it before, new coordinator, every spot's open. So, who's going to get be in that battle for it? I think you could have three guys there com- competing for it, Bernard Shermer, Jalen McKenzie, Clayton Bradley. You might even see a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker. You know, I think because he played tackle in high school. Now, I think he's he's better suited to be an offense guard. And I think he's mauled some guys when he was in last year. But he's a guy that you could potentially look at and say, eh, we could probably move him back out too. Well, you're not only having a new offensive coordinator, but you wonder what Tim Drevno thinks about these guys. You know, he watched them from afar last season. I thought it was interesting if we want to move on to to guard, and you mentioned him already, but when uh, Tim Drevno took over for the Oregon State game, you saw a lot more Elijah Vera Tucker in that game than previously. So I'm, I'm curious just who, where he lands between everyone. Um, as far as guards, you have Andrew Voorhees, Elijah Vera Tucker, Frank Martin, and Jacob Daniel. And some of the names in there are guys who we haven't really heard much about, you know, Frank Martin hasn't really had his shot yet. Jacob Daniel has kind of switched around between both sides of the ball. Um, I, I think you should go in with Elijah Vera Tucker and Andrew Voorhees as, as the, the main guys. Yeah, I, I think those two guys are, are definitely your front runners there. I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker graded out at the best of any of the guards that are returning. Chris Brown was the best offensive lineman on the team last year, uh, followed by Austin Jackson. Uh, we look at the pro football focus grades at least, not the team grades. Those might be a little bit different, obviously. Uh, but, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, when he got his opportunities, I thought he really looked good at times. Yeah, he struggled a little bit at times too, and that's part, probably part of the reason why he never took over that guard spot for Andrew Voorhees. But Andrew Voorhees, you know, he's got to take that next step in his development. He's been playing for two years now. It's time for him to make that next step. And we could definitely see that. You know, I always say that you usually see the biggest jump from freshman year to, to or first year to second year. Whether a guy is redshirted or whether he's played a little bit as a freshman or if he gets thrown in the mix, I think they they, they take a big jump that second year. Um, I don't think that Andrew Voorhees necessarily did that. So maybe this year is a year he can take that big jump. And he had a knee injury. I think it was knee injury, a uh, meniscus or an MCL in the spring leading into last year. So I think he wasn't really healthy, and that might have contributed to it. Uh, and he had some back issues as well. So I, I think that he's a guy that could take a big jump. And if he does, then he can solidify his spot as the as the right tackle or left tackle. It just depends on where you want to put those guys and where you see those skill sets matching up with the tackle. That's something that, you know, I think it's a little bit less in the in this era, the spread, the air raid offense, because you're split out so much. You don't necessarily work in tandem as often, you know, necessarily. But you have to be able to communicate. You have to have a good rapport with the guy beside you on the offensive line to pick up those stunts, to pick up the, you know, the, the guys coming on a blitz or whatever it may be. Uh, the better you know the guy beside you and what he can do and what he may struggle with that you can help out with, the better your offense is going to work. So that's why people all often want to say, oh, just flip that guy over the other side, you know, when there's injury that happens or something, but it doesn't work that at, at that way necessarily with the offensive line. Even though if you get to the NFL, you better be ready to play all five positions because someone gets hurt because there's such limited roster spaces. A guy will come in and be like, all right, I, there was one game where the, I think it was the Eagles playing the Redskins, and the Eagles got three offensive linemen go down in the first half. And one guy had come in, the reserve had come in, 
and went from one tackle spot to a guard spot to the other guard spot, all in the the the, the uh, span of one half. So that can happen. I don't think that's necessarily the case at the collegiate level. I think you're more focused on one thing. And if you find a buddy, a buddy beside you that you work really well with, I think that gives you an opportunity to succeed, especially in the spring and fall uh, as you're getting to know your, your teammates and you know, you're getting to know what other guys on the other side can do against you. Uh, so I think that this offensive line, you know, they've got to come together as a unit, and we'll see how that progresses in this new offense. As far as Andrew Voorhees, do you think – him getting a shot so early on in his collegiate career kind of stunts your growth a little bit. You don't have, I feel like sometimes you don't have a breath to have the growing pains that sometimes if you're thrown in as, okay, you're going to be the sixth man. Okay. Now you're a starter. You don't have that leeway to kind of find your own. Uh, you might not have the leeway, but you, you find out about yourself and you find out your deficiencies, deficiencies really quickly sure. because when you get thrown into a game and it's Washington state, you know, a couple years ago where it was Austin Jackson gets thrown in Andrew Voorhees was in, uh, and you had one more, I think it was, that got thrown in as well. You had three freshman offensive linemen had to go in the game. You find out real quick when they attack you and you say, okay, I'm struggling with the speed guys like Hercules Mataafa, you know, or I'm struggling with the power of this guy. This is what I need to work on. So you find out, I think, quicker than well, these are the things I got to focus on. This is what I need to work on going into the next season. Rather than if you're just redshirting, you find out that from the guys in practice, but you know you, you kind of get used to facing the guy all the time. So you might be like, all right, I can beat this guy this particular way in practice, but then in a the game it might be different because you're facing a new opponent each week and that new opponent has a different skill set every time. Where in practice you kind of get used to this guy. Okay, I, you know, I know he's good at this. I know he's not good at this. If, I, you know, if I'm trying to beat him, I can beat the same thing this way every time. So I, I think that it helps to get in that, get that experience as a freshman. I think that's why it's important – to rotate some guys in and give those guys those opportunities, especially now with the new redshirt rule where guys can play for four games. You get them in there, you see what they can do against an opponent, a new opponent, you know, and then how much you see how much they've studied that week and see how much they know this particular guy or whatnot. And then you can see what areas of deficiencies they, they have to work on, where are their strengths, where, where are they, their weaknesses. Moving to, I think, one of the, the most Interesting battles that is going to happen in the spring. The battle for starting center position. You have Brett Nealon and Justin Dedich. I mean, how do you? What do you? What do you look for with those two guys? I mean, the first thing is you got to get the snap back there. That was an issue, especially after last year when they had so many issues with Total Lebanon. You know, just snapping the ball correctly and getting it there. So first, that's got to be corrected. And I think that I would assume there's such a sour taste from last year that that's going to be the first priority. Uh, you know, but then the second thing is. Centers have to be able to make the calls. Now, you can change your offense and have someone else. If you have a veteran guard, like if Chris Brown was the only, uh, you know, if you had freshmen on the rest of the line and Chris Brown was the only guy at guard, he can make the calls if you wanted. But you want your center to be able to make the calls, make all the adjustments at the line to help your quarterback out. Um, so I think that that'll be one of the things. I think it's not going to be necessarily just what we see. You know, it'll be the snapping. We can see that from in spring practice. We'll see the blocking itself, but how well are they deciphering the defensive pressures? How well are they picking things up? How how well are they communicating with the rest of the group? Communication's huge as a center. Um, and maybe that was one of the issues with Toe Loman. I don't know, because he's not necessarily that rah-rah guy. He's not a very vocal guy. And that was always, you know, the question with leadership in on the offensive side is they didn't have that boisterous guy to to come in and tell everybody they gotta get right or whatever it may be. Maybe someone who's willing to speak up a little bit more might be able to help that offensive line better at the, at the center spot. We'll see. I don't, you know, is Brett Elon or is Justin Deeds necessarily that guy? Off the field, neither one of them are. 
But on the field, I think they have a little bit more. Justin Didich, at least, definitely has more of a mean streak in him. <laughs> as we've seen him yep. at times blocking guys 12, 14 yards down the field on the opposite side of where the play is going, um, which you love that. You love that from offensive linemen. So I'm curious to see how those guys do. I mean, Brett Nelon was really good when he came in. You know, the one game he played against UNLV, I thought he played really well. He came in, you know, kind of the, the – was the Thor package that they used where yep. they had an extra lineman. He became that guy after Justin Didich was in the first game. Um, you know, Justin Didich played three snaps, so how much do we really know about him yet? Not, we don't. Yeah. But he redshirted, so he's going to be ready to go this year. That's a big competition. And then do you see someone else? You always want to have a third or fourth center, so who else is going to be snapping on the side? I would. I want to curious to see that. Jordan Austin was a guy that was an emergency center for him that they needed. Yeah. We saw him practice some there in the spring in the past. You know, he'd snap some during uh, during practices and stuff. We'd seen that. So I'm curious to see who's going to be the emergency guys as well because you never know with USC and the injuries they've had the last few years. That's how Nico Fala, Nico Fala got yep. into the game was he was the fourth center. You know, they had a couple of injuries. That Toa Lobanon had gone down early in the season. You know, you have a couple of injuries and suddenly you get thrown in a game. Who's going to be that guy? You know, is it going to be Jacob Daniel? Is it going to be a Frank Martin? Is it going to be one of those guys that we don't really talk about much, but they could be a vital part of the offense if there's a couple of injuries? Yeah, as a whole, looking at who's returning for the offensive line, it's kind of a young group. To me, you kind of lose the pillars of what was uh, the mainstays of the offensive line group. You know, Chumadoga, Tolobodon was there forever. Um, Chris Brown, one of the most consistent guys in 2018. So it's just interesting looking how this new group shapes up. Except Clay Helton told us they're getting older. This offense line is getting older. Maybe in maturity, maturation, sure. Now, what I, what I think he meant is that they've got young guys that have played guys like Austin Jackson, yeah. Andrew Voorhees, Elijah Vera Tucker. They've played some. Now they're getting older and moving into those spots of leadership. But when he said it, the, you know, the, the phrasing just was not correct. This the offense line is not getting older when you lose three three senior starters and a key reserve. I mean, Jordan Austin was really good in the UCLA game when he started the game. The first drive, they went right down the field with him in the game. So, you know, they're not going to get a bunch of uh, you know, buffer with you know with this recruiting class. You got Jason Rodriguez coming in the fall, uh, and you got uh Tavai, Tavai, Talini Levi, Talini Levi. Sorry, I got it. Uh, transposed him there. But Talini Levi is going to come in as well. Um, you know, those two guys are going to come in in the fall, and I don't think that they're going to be guys that are going to be impact this year. I think both of them have uh, potential for the future, but they got to work on their technique. Uh, they got to you know get learn how to use their bodies a little bit better. And I don't think Quinones is going to be an impact guy the, uh, as a freshman either. So I think what you see is what you get with this offensive line. The guys that are returning, the guys going to be in there. So especially if there's an injury, you know, as a guard spot, you know, you, you've got two guys that have played. Jacob Daniel and, and Frank Martin have not played offensive line at USC. So if you have an injury, how how is this team gonna you know gonna deal with that? Is a guy like Bernard Shermer is he flexible enough? You can move him in at guard. Is he a guy that you you know that starts at right tackle? Where does Jalen McKenzie end up? He can be a guy that can can play guard or tackle. Uh, and where exactly does Clayton Bradley fit in? Those are the questions I'm looking at this this spring. Is to see you know I'm pretty sure we got Austin Jackson on on the left tackle that center spot. You know it's gonna be a battle between those guys. I would say Brett Nealon has the advantage there going into this with a little bit more experience. And Andrew Voorhees is probably going to be at one of the guard spots with Elijah Vera Tucker, but not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, those guys yeah. are the ones no, that yeah. played, but I, I think those are open competitions still going on there. And like I said, Elijah Vera Tucker could slide outside if you really wanted him to. Yeah, I think the uh, there's a lot of question marks. Probably the most question marks, besides maybe quarterback, 
within the offensive line group. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting on offense to see. for sure. Yes, on offense. Uh, moving on to the next position group, running backs. Uh, departures: Akasadrik Ware, who led the team in rushing last year. No, for, no additions in spring. So left on the depth chart right now is, and we're going by scholarship players: Stephen Carr, Vivai Malapaya, and Marquis Step. What are you looking at in that group? You know, without Akasadrik Ware, who steps up is going to be the leader of that group. Uh, Vi actually, Vi Malapai was actually the highest rated guy on the team last year as, you know, on the offense. Gray was a 79.2. It was not great, but that's, that was the offense last year. I said, Jaguar was right behind that. Marquis Step wasn't very far behind that. And then Stephen Carr was pretty far down. He's about 12 points behind, you know, the other guys or, you know, about eight behind anybody else when everybody else was kind of bunched together. So does Stephen Carr bounce back? You know, he's the guy that has so much talent. Um, but you know, it, it just felt like he didn't have the explosiveness last year. When it was something we commented on, you know, multiple times, he was back from the back injury, and you know, back injuries can take a toll on a player. But I think that I, I think maybe he's gotten adjusted to it. You know, get an opportunity to have an off season now without without worrying about his back. I think he can come back and be an explosive player. Then the USC offense will pick up because he's such a weapon out of the backfield in this air raid offense. If you want a guy that can catch the ball, Stephen Carr is that guy. Stephen Carr can line up at receiver. You know, he's that good. I've seen him line up in several seven on seven tournaments and just just destroy some DBs. Because he's that good. He can run routes. He can catch the ball. He catches the ball away from his body. You know, you're not just throwing him screen passes. You're, th- you're putting him out there and getting him a one-on-one matchup. You want him on that angle route with an open middle of the field against a linebacker. Um, so I want to see how they use him and how he can be using that. Marquis Stepp's going to be your power back. I think Vi is kind of a blend of both. You know, he, he's more of a power guy, but he can do a lot of things. I like, I like the fact that he is a versatile guy. But you know, they don't have the leadership now with Akasadrik Ware gone. Does one of those guys step up, uh, and, and how does it kind of fit? And then eventually you'll get Kristen, uh, or Kristen Kristen. Uh, Keenan Kristen. Keenan Kristen. Well, I'm struggling with my recruits right now <laughs> for some reason. I'm, I've already kind of flushed the 2018 class or 19 class to go on to the 2020 class. Um, but, you know, I, I'm curious to see what do they want out of the running backs. Yeah. You know, do you want a guy that's a power back? But, you know, you have those wide splits, you know, that's usually not necessarily the best for, for a power back. You need, he needs a guy that's going to be a lead blocker. You need, you know, rather than a guy that's going to be, a, you know, a defensive defender is going to be able to shoot the gaps and be able to get a power back down. Uh, so how are they going to use these guys? That's, that's the bigger question for me rather than, you know, about the personnel itself is how are they going to be used this season and, you know, this spring and, the main thing is just seeing how Stephen Carr is coming back. If he's back to being that five-star guy, this offense takes another step forward. Yeah, I think the fact that he returned for winter workouts is a it's a positive sign, given the fact that once a player on USC's team gets an injury, sometimes it lingers and then it lingers more, and you'll hear about that in the tight end section. Um, but uh, I'm excited to see Marquis step. I feel like USC fans got to see what we saw all fall in practice towards the end of the season when he got his due. Um, I'm just excited to see if he progressed over that. I think the progress that Vivai Malapai made over the 2018 season is really encouraging for USC fans. I don't think that's something that we expected from Vi in the 2018 season, but he really took off. So I, I just think this is an interesting group and I, I, how they mold and mesh together and who, like you said, steps up as a leader is is curious to me yeah and everyone expected last year Stephen Carr would take over the mantle as the, yeah. you know the running back he ended up being the third guy so does he bounce back that's that's going to be a big question 
Uh, and hey, we saw what Marquis Step can do when given an opportunity. He's going to run through some arm tackles. He's going to, you know, he's going to uh, run through some guys if necessary to pick up his yards. He had 19 yards after contact uh, in the Notre Dame game on five attempts. I mean, that tells you he's averaging almost four yards uh, a carry after contact. So, you know, that was something that Akasajic Ware was so good at last year. And, you know, I don't think he even got enough credit for it. But he, he I think he led the Pac-12. At least he was leading in the last couple of weeks, um, last time I had checked on it. But he was leading the Pac-12 in, you know, yards after contact you know, per carry. And he was gaining, you know, he ended up gaining over four yards a carry after contact. Which tells you that if he had better blocking to get him three or four yards down the field before he got touched, you know he would have been running for even more yards than he did. Any foul thoughts before we move on to the next position group? No, I think I think the running backs is again just wait and see. That's kind of a it's kind of a wait and see position where we're we're looking forward to certain position battles and stuff on the offensive line. Running backs, there's not real you know there's not real battle because they're going to use all the guys. Yeah. But the question is, how are they going to use them? And I'm curious what Mike Jenks does with them. Yeah, that's that's exactly. a new factor. How because we've seen each guy do each coach do something new, new techniques or Drevno trying to do a, a McCullough. But I'm curious what Jenks will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving on, tight ends. Which <laughs> inside baseball, I had made this rundown, put all the position groups, and was like, oh, I didn't put tight ends, which I think is indicative of like the how they kind of performed in 2018. It was a forgettable season for USC's tight ends. Uh, but as far as departures go, uh, USC loses Tyler Petit and Austin Appleby. Uh, they will get an addition in spring camp. They'll get Jude Wolf, the four-star tied in out of Bosco, 6'6", 250. So he's a pretty hefty guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as depth chart goes, you have Josh Fallow, Eric Croman hook and Daniel Water, baby, baby. Question mark question still, marks? Lots unfortunately. Of question marks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Daniel Bebe, we still hope that he comes back this season. But Clay Helton did say at his National Signing Day presser that he is still, you know, working out individually. He's not working out with the team still. He's not doing the team workouts and stuff in the offseason. So it doesn't give a lot of confidence that he'll be back, you know, to begin spring ball or even fall. I mean, the question marks just continue to linger. Yeah. And you know, I've talked, I've bad mouthed the, the USC. Uh, athletic trainers previously. I'm not going to do it right now. It's just we, we hope he gets back. Yeah. He, he's a great guy, and you hate to see a kid not be able to get on the field because of an injury, and that's what's happened. You know, it's been basically basically two years he's been dealing with this injury, um, and it, it just he came back for part of the 2017 season, never was able to participate in the 2018 season. Hopefully, he's back healthy the 2019. Show what he can do because he if, for one, we want to see the kid do well, but. Yeah. For two, it makes this offense much different because he is yeah. a dynamic weapon that they didn't really have last year. Now, Tyler Petit coming to high school was a pass-catching tight end. You know, Josh Fowler was a pass-catching tight end, but they didn't use him a lot in those ways, whereas Daniel Mortabebe, they had used more previously, you know, getting matchups for him. And, you know, they could throw over the middle, and that's something that I think that they the offense struggled with last year is that Amon Ross St. Brown was the only offensive weapon over the middle, yeah. whereas – Young quarterbacks, that's an easier throw. The one over the middle is the easiest throw. You know, obviously you got to worry about defenders and stuff, but it's an easier, shorter throw. You know, wherever you're throwing, if you're throwing it a 15 yard pass over the middle, it's 15 yards. You're throwing it on the outsides, that 15 yard pass is 25 yards because the you know the the breadth of the field. So, what is this tight end group going to do? They were the worst ranked players. The position was obviously the worst ranked on the team. But Josh Follow, Tyler Petit, Eric Roman Hook were the three worst ranked 
per pro football focus. So take that however you, you know, if you don't want like pro football focus, whatever it may be, but this gives us a, a ranking system and their ranking system had those three players as the worst on the team. Tyler Petit had a 40.9 grade. Eric Cromenhook had a 43.7. Josh Follow had a 47.7. Now, in this offense, are they asked to block as much as they were last year? Are they going to be split out? How are they going to be used? That's kind of the question with this group. Uh, and I think if you split them out, I think a guy like Josh Follow will succeed more. I think he's more of a pass catcher. And if you can get him on, uh, you know, if you can get him on linebackers, that can be a boon to the system. And using the middle of the field more. It just seemed like they didn't use the middle field. Yeah. I don't know if it was just that JT Daniels lacked confidence in the tight ends or if you know if they just didn't have the, the play calls there. A lot of times they were leaving in uh, blockers to help out, so that takes away a couple of uh, over-the-middle options. Let's see how this offense uses those tight ends this season. And I think Jude Wolf is a guy that can come in and compete right away. So he's got, he's got offensive, line, offensive tackle skills uh, in a tight end's body. So he can block if you need him to block, but he wasn't so underutilized by by St. John Bosco, and that's saying a lot for a you know a team that put up points on upon points upon points. But he is you know a dynamic weapon on the outside. Um, I think he's a guy that the other tight ends on the on the depth chart better be like, all right, I gotta I gotta step my game up because this guy's coming in to, to take over. Um, and I think he'll eventually take over that spot. Not this year, but eventually he'll be the guy that will be the, the tight end of the future. You know, even potentially, I think he could be a Mackey Award finalist or or win the Mackey Award, depending on how the tight ends are used by Graham Harrell. I mean, if you if you have a similar to Cliff Kingsbury using Jason Morrow his first year at Texas Tech, I think the the Jude Wolf could be your could be your Mackey Award winner in the future. Um, so that guy's coming in to compete. I think him taking. Having that extra body there, uh, you know, is, is big for them because you don't know about Daniel Moore, baby, losing Tyler Petit and Austin Appleby. I think it's big to get him in early, give him an opportunity. He's going to get plenty of opportunities too, with only three tight ends potentially. Yeah, I, I think out of all the early enrollees, besides maybe the death issues on uh, the DB area, Jude Wolf is going to have the the biggest opportunity to come in and make a name for himself. Um, as far as the tight end group as a whole, I mean, how do they fit in an air raid type offense? Where do they? Where's their identity in all of this? So it just depends on the type of coach. You know, so you know, Cliff Kingsbury. I, you know, I studied him more than I have Graham Harrell and the way he used Jay Samara because people were like, "Oh no, we're never going to use a tight end." Well, Jay Samara was split out. He would use him. You know, lined up on the line. He did different things with him because he knew he was a mismatch. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, the one thing about his coaching style on offense is that he looks for his mismatch and then he will try to exploit that. So if he would have had Stephen Carr and Stephen Carr is 100% healthy, you could have bet Stephen Carr was going to get, you know, going to motion out and take a linebacker with him and then beat that linebacker and get some big gains and stuff. I'm curious to see how Graham Harrell decides to use the tight ends. I haven't had a chance to see, you know, the, the, on the tape and stuff exactly how he does. Uh, so I, that's something I'll be watching definitely in the spring too. And a lot of the things on the offense, I'm mean, just kind of wait and see, kind of see what what you do with the new offense because it's not just that you're changing offensive coordinators. It's your changing offensive philosophies and, and you know, how you want to attack defenses. So I think that those are things we won't really know until you see because every coach is going to kind of kind of morph his style based on the personnel that he has. And, and the tight ends, a guy like Jude Wolf or Josh Follow can be used as a split out guy. Can be used, you know, he could be the guy that you split out to one side and put four receivers on the other side. Uh, and you know, if you, if you can get the linebacker to come out there with him or a safety, he can beat those guys. So it, it just depends on how you can 
take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities if you can create them with your offense. I, I don't know if this is previewing our, our coaching podcast too far, but I'm also curious, having Baxter going back to the tight ends, what does that do? I mean, moving all those guys around, I'm, I'm curious what that does for that position. But moving on to wide receivers, USC had some departures on the wide receiver group uh, during the offseason, but not due to moving on to the next level. Uh, Trayvon Sidney, Josh Imatorbebe, and Randall Grimes are all going to look elsewhere uh, to play. As far as additions, USC doesn't get any wide receiver additions in the spring, so it's a pretty streamlined depth chart. You have Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devin Williams, and Valus Jones. So that's a pr- that's pretty much all the guys that USC used uh, as far as wide receiver targets uh, in 2018. Yeah, and so those guys are going to have all the opportunities to what they're not going to they're not going to jump each other on the on the depth chart. You, you basically know where these guys fit. Uh, you know, Devin Williams will just, I think it's good for him. He'll get extra opportunities. Um, and you know, he'll get on the same page with the quarterbacks and stuff. I think it, it's not a very good depth chart right now, as far as your depth, because yes. five guys, one guy gets hurt and suddenly, well, we wanted to go four wides, you know, and multiple plays over and over and over to work on this air raid stuff. But you know, all our guys are out of breath. So you're going to put walk-ins in there. And you're not going to have the same look. I think it's going to be the same thing on the defensive backside. We'll talk about that next week. But they're just not enough bodies. And, you know, USC is going to be really hurt by this, you know, the departure of Trayvon Sidney, Josh Morabebe, and Reynolds Grimes. Grimes is at Minnesota. Trayvon Sidney said he's definitely leaving. Josh Morabebe, we haven't seen confirmation necessarily. He's in the transfer portal. but not, I believe he tweeted it. Yeah, but I'm not, he hasn't, you know, said a specific destination or anything. Uh, if I was coaching, I'd be like, hey, just come back for the spring. Get you back in here. Maybe you can move up the depth chart. Who knows? Uh, but I just think that there's there's not a lot of depth there, and it's going to hurt them You know, as they try to learn this new system. You know, they better be in great shape because I'd be like, no, you guys get back in there. You're the starters. You get back in there. You can rest during the summer. We'll, we'll give you some time off in the work, summer workouts. We need you to get all that stuff down. Uh, but it, it's just going to be tough for them to gain extra knowledge and reps when you know they're going to be winded a lot of times because of the system. Now, how much do you go four wides? How much do you implement that stuff? Uh, th- those are questions that, that I'm curious with there. Uh, I think that their, their wide receiver group is terrific still. Michael Pittman coming back, you know, Tyler Vaughn's, those two guys on the outside are really good. Now can you put them in situations where they can make plays? And, you know, Michael Pittman, how many times did he catch the ball, break a tackle, and take it, you know, an extra 20 yards or 30 yards or whatever? Tyler Vaughn's can make guys miss on the outside as well. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is one of the most complete uh, receivers in the in interior. You can put him on the inside, you can put him on the outside. How do they use the middle of the field? You know, we talked about it with the tight ends, but again, how much are you going to use the middle of the field with this group? Uh, I'm curious there. And then Devin Williams, I want to see him progress. I want to see Valus Jones, you know, get on the same page with the quarterbacks and how can he stretch a defense, you know, to help out. You can't dink and dunk if the if the secondary and the defense is on top of you all the time. So you got to be able to stress the defense when necessary. So that's where Valus Jones is going to come in. And obviously with Devin Williams, Michael Pittman, those guys can get behind people as well. So there's not a lot of question marks with this group. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of curious to see what positions they kind of put them in, what kind of, you know, who's running the screens when you do those things, those type. Of, but there's not a bunch of questions because it's a very experienced group. You know, some guys have been playing for three years. Other guys have, you know, played a lot the last two years. And you're not really adding anybody this spring. So, uh, you know, once you get to the fall, I'm really curious to see Drake London, how he fits in as a, you know, as a basketball slash football player. 
Um, he's a guy that I think is going to be a star eventually. Um, yeah, I, I think the Munir McLean, if he's back 100% healthy, he's you know he, he uh, idolizes Julio Jones, and I think that he has a similar body type. You know, he's, obviously he's not Julio Jones, but once he you know. I think when he gets 100% back from the knee injury he had, I think he was working towards it at the end of this season. Uh, I think he's going to be really good too. Uh, and then Kyle Ford. Where does Kyle Ford yeah. fit in? Is he healthy enough to practice? How long does it take until he gets back? You know, Those are things you know we'll find out going forward into fall camp to see if he's even going to be able to, to practice at all or if he's going to be playing next year. Those are the things that will be interesting with this wide receiver group. But in the spring, not really that much. Yeah, I'm just curious who takes advantage of the spring and takes advantage of having such a, a small depth chart. I'm curious, Devin Williams getting over that that maybe rookie hump. You know, he he had some some rookie moments when he was put out there. Granted, he was also put out there, thrown into situations that I thought were kind of unfair for him at times. Bayless Jones, the big question mark for me, I think, for his whole career has been, can USC fully utilize his speed? You know, can mm-hmm. he be consistent enough where you, USC can utilize his speed? Um, Tyler Vaughn, I thought he regressed a little bit towards the end of the season. and We didn't see as much as, of, of him as we're used to seeing. Um, so I'm just curious about how all that shakes out. Uh, Michael Pittman said part of the reason why he did return was to become a leader um, and become uh, one of the, the top guys on the team. I feel like Michael Pittman in, is in a prime spot to do so, especially if you're going to open up the quarterback competition again. Um, so I'm curious how those guys figured themselves out. And Michael Pittman, can he stay healthy? Great point. He hasn't really had a complete full season where he's been healthy. It's the springs, he's been banged up, and he's broken his thumb. He's, you know, broken, I think, a broken bone in his hand as well. I think that's been his two different uh, springs. You know, he's had injuries in the spring. Can he stay healthy? Because that can be a development time for him to continue to improve. I mean, I think he's a guy that has potential to be a first-round draft pick. I mean, not a first-round, first-day draft pick for sure. If he can, you know, if he can continue to progress from what we saw, the 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 way he took off from the beginning of the season to the end of the season last year, and staying healthy is a big part of that for him because he's been banged up several different times. He's not really banged up, more nicked up several times yeah. in his career where it's small things, but it's just it's not giving him an opportunity to get those extra extra reps in there and he'll get plenty of chances to get reps this spring if he can stay healthy yeah it, it's been weird injuries where it's just enough to limit him but not fully take him out it's it's a weird thing for him uh, moving on to our final position group of the pod drum roll please <laughs> quarterbacks so departures none which is interesting in additions usc actually does get an, an addition in spring camp keaton slovis the three-star quarterback out of arizona i got to talk to him in arizona he was very much, um, he, he has a chip on his shoulder about his three-star rating. You know, he was like, I'm in Arizona. I don't see any any recruiting guys evaluating me. Where are they? I don't, wh- where's this three-star rating coming from? And I was like, okay, like, that's a good chip on your shoulder to have. Uh, his offensive coordinator in high school was Kurt Warner, which always helps. Never heard of him. Uh, never heard of him either. Yeah, I know. Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> that always helps. So I think it's it's nice if you have a guy like him coming with the chip on his shoulder. But I think you kind of see him in more of a, a Matt Fink type of role right now. Um, but. Uh, so that USC does get that uh, in the spring. I mean, having extra depth at the quarterback position is never bad, especially with the concerns last year that, hey, if one guy transfers, if Jack Sears transfers, you only got two guys, you get an injury, suddenly you're, you know, you're in danger of putting 
a high school quarterback there that's now playing whatever position uh, you're running a wildcat all the time or something like that was a major concern last year. You look at us, you know, I've talked about it before, but you look at school like Maryland when they had, I think four or five quarterbacks get hurt and they had to go to a backup, uh, maybe even a walk on linebacker who had played high school quarterback. So you don't, you never want that situation. You want to have a quarterback basically in every class that you have four quarterbacks on the depth chart almost at all times. And I think now getting Keaton Slovis will help with that. You know, that allows you not to have to make as many throws if you don't want to with quarterbacks. So you don't get any arm soreness, arm fatigue and stuff during the spring. But this is the big, the big battle. If you want to say, I don't think it's that much of a competition, but they're going to open it up. You've got to impress the new offensive coordinator. If you're JT Daniels or Jack Sears, this is your opportunity to impress the new offensive coordinator. Or Matt Fink. And how do you fit into the offense? With I think JT Daniels fits in really well. It's similar to what he ran at Modern Day. It's you know I think he's going to be given some opportunities as he continues to to learn the offense, to make some adjustments at the line of scrimmage, and do things like that. I, I think that I think he would excel in that. Uh, Jack Sears, his playmaking ability. This the air raid offense does really well with mobile quarterbacks. You look at guys like Johnny Manziel. You look at guys like Kyler Murray. You look at guys like Baker Mayfield. Those are spread offenses they're working in and a lot of the air raid principles and their ability to make plays when plays break down makes it that much more dangerous of an offense. I think Jack Sears can do that. Now, how much can he show in the spring? Uh, That's always a question mark. When you have have those playmaker quarterbacks that are great when the play breaks down, like Sam Darnold, you don't necessarily see that all the time in in practice because they blow the whistle or whatever it may be. But I'm going to have a short whistle if I'm I'm the coaches. I want to see what they can do. Make them make the defenders go and run that extra ten yards to chase him down. You know they get a hand on him. That's not a tackle. You know you grab his jersey. That's a tackle. All right. So let's make make some adjustments and and see what the players can do in practice and see if their skill set makes this offense even better uh, with the the air raid principles. Matt Fink he has a similar skill set to Jack Sears in that regard. He did really well running the ball. How much if he's if he gets in there? And during his time, are they going to run read option stuff? How much are they going to you know, change that stuff? That was what he was last year. He was the guy that was going to run the read option when he got in there. He's going to hand it off a lot, and he's going to make some short throws. Do they give him more, more responsibility? The quarterbacks are really interesting, not necessarily because I think it's a big battle, because I think it's I think it's still JT's job to lose. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think this is an actual battle where everyone comes in with a blank slate, or is it like this is a competition, wink, wink, but we're kind of looking at JT more? Uh, I don't think that it's the second one. I think it's kind of in the middle, okay. where it's a competition because Grand Harold doesn't know these guys. Yeah. All right, I've seen what you've done on tape last year in practice because I, I came in and I did my work, my study when I came in from Graham Harold. But I haven't seen you in person. You've got to impress me now. Hey, I know what you did last year. Now can you impress me? I, I, I don't care what you did last year. Some coaches don't even watch tape of guys when, before, you know, what they've done. In, uh, I, I think Clancy Pendergast told me this before, actually, that when he came in after Justin Wilcox, he's like, I didn't really watch what they did last year because I'm going to run into a completely different system. So yep. it, what they were doing in that doesn't really, you know, uh, carry over to mine to give me a better idea on things. So. If Graham Harrell, how much is he watching that stuff? And you know, you got to impress him. Anytime you have a new position coach or a new coordinator, you have to go impress that guy. So JT's got to do that if he wants to take over this job. I think it gives Jack Sears a great opportunity to say, you know, I've got an opportunity here to go in and and take this job if I can outperform him. Because we saw last fall, JT outperformed everybody. He came in; those guys had an opportunity last spring, Jack Sears and Matt Fink, to 
get a you know a major step ahead of JT before he got on campus. They didn't do it. And then in the fall, JT came in and he wowed us and he was much better than the other two guys. They have that opportunity now to bounce back and do the same thing to him. You know, so obviously Jack Sears and Matt Fink were ahead of JT going into the fall last year because they have the knowledge, they have the experience of the offense, but they didn't they didn't take advantage of it. Can they take advantage of it now? I think JT has a similar, he has the advantage going into the fall, but the other guys could come and if they're much better than him, then they can win the job. How much does football IQ give JT an advantage in this scenario? You know, it just depends on what they're asking the quarterback to do. You know, sometimes the air raid, you can set it up and, you know, or more of the spread offense, not just the air raid, but you can set it up and like, all right, you got three reads on this right side of the field. One, two, three, bang. If you don't have it, take off running. You know, that's what you would do with a running quarterback. All right, you see it, see it, see it. Don't see anything there. Take off running. How much is it? Are they asking the quarterbacks to read the entire field? Are you asking them to read a third of the field, a half the field? What exactly are you asking of the guys? And on different plays, it can be different things, obviously. But, you know, if they're asking for a full field read, I think JT has an advantage there. Uh, or actually, I, I think it's it's pretty even there. But if you're asking, you know, when you simplify things into a half field read, I think JT it really excelled in 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 high school doing that. You know, that was what he was really good at. It's like he would line up and he would point out, all right, you take the, you know, you are running this route you against this guy, and I'm just going to read the safety, and then I'm going to throw it, and it's going to be easy because I'm throwing to Brew McCoy and I'm on Ross St. Brown. Uh, did you just cry? Sad note. Did you just cry a silent tear for silent tear. Brew McCoy? Pour one out for Brew McCoy. <laughs> uh, so we'll see um, how they what they ask of the quarterbacks to do in, in, in this offense, and and that will kind of lend itself to you know whose skill set can take off based on what they're asking them to do. Um, any final thoughts on the quarterbacks as a whole? No, I, I think it's just a it's a comp like we said it's a competition, but JT's going to have a little bit of advantage going in. He's got more experience than the other guys. True, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm I'm curious the timeline of this. Is this something that they announce at the end of spring? Um, is this something that they drag on to fall? I hope not, just for the sake of everyone involved. I don't think it helps when you drag something like that into fall. What does it hurt? I just I just don't like it. <laughs> I maybe that's self. I just I think for a leadership standpoint a unity standpoint it just it's better if you just name your guy have him know he knows to study the the playbook he knows what his role is and he knows to start leading the team I don't think it helps anyone by not having a your quarterback is going to be your leader whether you like it or not and I think having an established guy before you go into summer where they have to lead workouts is a is a plus for the team except it could also hurt your quarterback depth because if you name a starter you might see somebody leave True, but you have Keenan Slovis coming in. True. If you, I don't think you're gonna lose a guy like Matt Fink. You might. I don't think you will. No, I'm saying if you if you name Jack Sears the starter, could JT transfer? Then then that's Pandora's box. Then then maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a hypothetical situation. You it know is. how much I hate those. I know. But thank you for indulging me. I think that that's part of the thing is like you. You don't necessarily name any position. Now, you may put out a depth chart with a team. You know, the team often, you know, you put out a depth chart to let people know, all right, this is where you're at if you want to take over the spot or whatever. But I don't think it's something you necessarily would announce. Uh, I wouldn't announce if I was a coach. Like, hey, yeah, he's our starting quarterback. Unless you're really trying to boost someone's confidence. If you're trying to boost one of the quarterback's confidence, you don't feel like they're confident enough going into the offseason as a still in a competition. 
uh, you know, publicly. Yeah, I, I think that's where you're you're massaging egos and trying to you know get the best out of players in that regard. That's that's a little bit different. But hypothetically, say you okay. were to name, you know, hate Say you were to name Jack Sears. You knew it at the end of spring. If you're gonna piss off JT, hypothetically, why not get the ball rolling so that you allow Jack Sears to step into that role that he, you as a coach want him to? You can just release a depth chart within the locker room. Okay. And do the same thing. You don't have to do it publicly. I, I, okay, but I thought you just meant at all. No, well, I mean you can. I, I would. I don't see necessarily the reason to name it, but if you want to do that, I think it's more of a, it's a psychological thing. Then and you're trying to pump up this one quarterback. Tell him, all right, it's your team. You got to go lead. Uh, you know that's it's more psychological than you know, just on the field type of stuff. And you know, I you always want to put out a depth chart halfway through the spring and probably at the end of the spring so the guys know where they're at. Yeah. And the guy thinks that oh, I'm the, I'm the I'm the next guy and then suddenly you're like wait a second I'm third on the depth chart. And you go talk to coach, coach, what's going on? Why am I third here? Well, you're not doing this and this and this. Oh, 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 whoa. <laughs> Did, didn't realize that. All right then. They're probably mad and, and PO'd about it, but you know, they, they get the message and say, well, "I got to I got to step it up and do more." Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I will I will concede that point. And then the also the, the depth chart becomes a psychological weapon. You, you put the guy at the backup when he's really the starter just because you're like, you need to work harder. Or some guys need to be pissed off to, to work harder. So, yeah, it just depends. There's a lot of, a lot of psychological evaluations have to take place in the locker room, too. Mind games. It's all mind games. Some of it is. Uh, but to finish up this pod, uh, to wrap up maybe your overall thoughts about the offense and, and what offensive storylines are you specifically looking for when we get to camp? I mean, how the personnel on the roster fits in with this offense. You know, we talked about the offense alignment. If you, if you had those wide splits, you want those roadblocks on the edges. Is that necessarily what USC has? No. I mean, Austin Jackson was a guy that was 260 pounds in high school. So he's not the 6'6", 330 guy that you have on the edge. He's nimble, he's mobile, he can go and you know hit guys, he's got good feet, all those type of things that you look for in an NFL tackle. But is that what you want in this offense? So how does the personnel they currently have fit? And then, I, this is not even in the spring, but I'm curious to see how they start recruiting and you know how much their recruiting changes going forward. Uh, we've seen some of that with them recruiting in Texas and other things like that a little bit more. But th- that's my question for the spring. How does the personnel fit with this offense? And you know what are they going to be asking of the personnel uh, at some of those positions? The running backs, the tight ends. Those are what that's what I'm looking for the most in the spring. Yeah, I think that's the big umbrella over it all. I think that's that's the key when you bring in a guy like Graham Harrell. For me, um, I'm curious about the evolution of the tight ends. Will they have a redemption story? What's the what's the character arc in this? Is are they a redemption? Are they more fading into the background as as a weapon for USC? Oh, are they going to be the they're going the way of the fullback? Maybe the way of the dodo. Not not, not really. <laughs> Not really, but I'm just curious. Like, is it going to be one of those things that you have to put up with the tight ends as far as like their liability? Will they stop being a liability for USC? You know, you is could, that connected to the offensive line? You know, if the offensive line blocks well enough, you don't need them blocking as much. You know, good call. I, I, I'm just curious how that evolves. You know, or if they're bad and you just stop using the tight end. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I you guess the four, way of, the way wide, of the dodo. Yeah. Yes, you go four wides and a running back, and that's it. And you don't use the tight end as a split out option or whatever it may be. You're always going to use them in short yardage situations and stuff like that. Or you could bring an extra lineman and do things. So there's there's different things that could be done. So I understand what you're saying there. 
Um, I, I think that the tight ends will be fine. And if you want the story arc, if you want the true story arc, Daniel Morabebe gets healthy, comes back as a big year. Redemption. That's the redemption arc right yeah. there. So I'm curious about that. Do they make progress? Do they look better in practice? That's the thing. Um, I'm very curious about the battle for center. I think Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich bring different things to the table. And I'm curious what looks better in practice. Um, and then I, as a whole, I'm just curious who steps as a, as a leader on offense. I feel like we've been saying this for two years now. Does anyone step up? Does That's a great point. Does anyone step on, on, on offense? You know, we've been talking about it on this podcast for two years now. And I don't think this will be a successful team if you don't have leaders on offense. And true leaders. Not just like, yeah, we kind of yell at each other sometimes, you know, but like an actual, actual leader. They don't have anybody that's yelled at anybody before. That's what I'm saying. They've had <laughs> captains that are not vocal leaders. So. I guess to rephrase this. Mm, you should. <sighs> Not someone who's a leader by name, but a leader in actions and that we can see it. You That's know? much better phrasing. Okay, well, semantics are important. Shotgun, I hate you. <laughs> That's my semantics. Um, yeah, so I'm very curious about leadership. Who steps up? I think Michael Pittman is a great candidate for that. Um, Austin I, Jackson. Austin Jackson's a great candidate for that. He told me he was going to take over So at the end of the last season, so we'll see if he actually does it. Justin Dietrich. Justin Dietrich had a... a, a kind of interesting role he'd go during timeouts he'd like pat guys on the butt during like timeouts and like kind of encourage guys so i'm curious how that evolves if that if he's given an opportunity to develop that more if he is named a starter or something whatnot i'm just curious i'm curious how there's a lot of things to look at on offense and i'm excited for it already any final thoughts i think that's about it for the offense i mean we'll talk a little bit more about the offense the offensive system in week three of our trilogy here Tres. Uh, so we'll get back to you guys in a couple weeks on the offense, but next week we'll talk defense. So if you have any questions on it, we want to hear your questions too. So what your questions are for the defense and we'll discuss those as well in the next podcast. If you send them in at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. True. Or if you're lazy, you can tweet it to us as well. Um, and if you want us to circle back to offense, if you have offensive questions, we might address those in the third podcast, you know, because you can't talk about special teams for like, 110 minutes 110 don't don't get me started i might can <laughs> we'll bring in john baxter and then we can go an hour that's that's how it's that true. works I, whenever i talk to baxter it ends up being a 15 minute conversation so yeah that's true Alrighty. um i think previews are fun i'm i'm excited looking forward and, and talking about some new things so i'm excited for next week's podcast as well yeah let's get it going it's almost time for spring <gasps> i'm excited Alrighty. that's gonna wrap it up for shotgun i'm keely thanks so much for listening to the family feud podcast and we'll see you guys next week Peace, shotgun. Peace. Peace.